ever had with my dad. I mean, I had a million of them. Uh, I had a fantastic relationship with my father, who's a, who's a naval officer, um, and he was well respected by the people under him. And I could see that. And you know, my father used to tell me about its character. You know, and, and he always—I've talked to you about this before. My father would always say, "Tough times don't test your character; they reveal your character." What makes the journey worth it? The pain, the adversity, the opposition, the challenges, the uncertainty. Why do I have to go through this? What's the lesson in this? I got a paralyzed right arm and hand. The million dollar question I get every single day is you wouldn't change what happened to you, why? Serendipity, join us for insightful dialogues about not just successes, but about failures, opposition, adversities that shape and mold the individuals to who they are today. I'm Inky Johnson. This is Serendipity. Good morning, guys. Welcome to another episode of Serendipity with Inky Johnson. I'm here with my friend, orthopedic surgeon, uh, Dr. Scott Barber, who's doing a lot of great work in Atlanta. I can't wait till you guys hear his story. It's incredible. And I think he's an amazing human being. Good morning, Doc. How you doing? I'm doing awesome, Inky. Good morning. Absolutely. First and foremost, I want to say thank you for your time. I know you're busy, and so I greatly appreciate it. Man, it's an honor to be on with you. I appreciate you uh, inviting me. Absolutely. And so we've spent, you know, some time together. You know, unfortunately for me, I'll never forget the first time I was around you. You know, I was over at your practice and watching you navigate and talk about your purpose and how you do things and why you did them. And I was thinking like, man, this is incredible. And I don't know if you remember, I asked you the question, like, how did you get here? How did you arrive at this place to where you're an orthopedic surgeon? And I'll never forget, you told me, like, man, I used to play soccer. And so can you tap into that journey for me about you playing soccer and how you thought at a certain point you were going to be this professional soccer player? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I do remember the day you came over to my practice and uh, I looked over the uh, counter there and I was like, in my head, I'm like, man, that's Hinky Johnson. <laughs> and the rest of my, it just kind of erupted through the practice. That's and then I remember uh, Arturo came up to you and was like, right off the bat, hey, can I get a picture with you? <laughs> and uh, I remember the day, very, you know, we just started kind of uh, talking about, um, our story and, you know, the, just for your listeners, we were kind of together because uh, a mutual friend of ours was introducing us about the Big Timers Foundation that we're, we're working on to try and, and mentor young kids. And, um, you know, you always say uh, in your in your talks that, you know, the person that you meet has to understand that when you're meeting that person, that's not the person they've always been, that there was a process for them to get there. And the same thing happened to me when I talk to my friends from high school or people who knew me long ago and I hadn't, haven't seen them in a long time and they ask me what I'm doing in life and I say I'm an orthopedic surgeon, most of them laugh and say, <laughs> no, man. It's like, no, I actually am an orthopedic surgeon. I, I, when I was in high school, I was a soccer player. Um, I really thought I was a small fish in a small pool in Hawaii and I was a, I was a good player for for high school and you know, what we used to call little kid athlete. You know, I was one of the best, uh, middle schoolers around. Uh, but from my perspective at, at that time, I really thought that 
I, you know, I was going to be the next big thing in soccer. And I got uh, invited to go play at UCLA, which was the number one college soccer soccer team in the country at the time. Wow. And that just forced this notion that I was going to be a professional soccer player. And then, of course, I got there. And when I had to go out on the field against these athletes, against these people that were just on another level, it just began. That just wasn't going to happen for me. Uh, so I had to change. No, no, carry on, Doc. I was just saying, wow, as you spoke. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so, um, you know, I just remember it funny now because, you know, I'm 55 and, you know, your perspective obviously changes as you age and, you know, not becoming a pro athlete is not the worst thing that ever happens to anybody. But from my 17, 18-year-old perspective, what had just happened to me was the worst thing that anybody could deal with. And at that time in my life, the only thing I knew was soccer. I was Scott, the soccer player. People knew me as that. You know, I can remember coming home um, after my first quarter at school, coming home on break and, you know, people saying stuff like, hey, are you all American yet? And, you know, have you got a contract yet? Stuff. And in my head, I'm thinking, man, how am I going to let people know? I like, I don't think it work out for me, you know? <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> That's incredible. Like I was talking to one of my buddies, you know, and I love hearing people's stories because like you said, you know, when I was younger, when I would meet people, I would think, man, like this person had to always want to do this or, you know, they had to always think this way. And as I got older and started looking at journeys and adversity, opposition, and the way people got to the points that they were at, I understood that where I was meeting them at was not where they had always been. And I feel as if the reason I started this platform, uh, Doc, is just because I, I feel as if as people, we waste a lot of experiences. When things don't show up in the form of which we expect it, when things don't go the way we want them to go, we just waste the experience. We don't try to extract anything from it. We don't try to pull things from it and look at how can this propel me into the next phase of my life. And so I want to understand in terms of values, in terms of principles, the way you were raised when you went through that process and you came to the realization that, hey, this is probably not going to work out, where there are certain things you still extracted from the process that made you a great soccer player because Getting to UCLA, you know, I'm sure you had to put in a lot of work. But once you got to that point where there's certain things you extracted from it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I had a, I had an amazing father and grandfather and it was just work ethic was their thing, you know, and probably the most meaningful interaction I ever had with my dad. I mean, I had a million of them. I had a fantastic relationship with my father. He was a, he was a naval officer um, and he was well respected by the people under him. And I could see that. And, you know, my father used to tell me about its character, you know, and, and he always, I've talked to you about this before. My father would always say, tough times don't test your character. They reveal your character. Mm -hmm. That would always back of my head. And I remember, uh, you know, when I was a small kid, uh, you know, before puberty, I was the best <laughs> athlete in ever did. You know, we swam race, never lost the race, you know, when I played soccer, five goals a game, you know, and as we started going through puberty and you started, people got bigger, people got faster, people got stronger. I was not as dominant, which, you know, is natural. And then it got to the point where I was not only not dominant, but sometimes I wasn't the best person out there. And it got me down. My father noticed that I was down. He came into my room one night and he said, hey, man, what, what's going on? Like you're moping around and everything. And I said, I go, you know, dad, it's not fair. I, I'm out there practicing all day, every day on the weekends 
I put in the time and it's just not paying off. You know, it's not happening for me. And he told me, you know, Scott, life is like that. You know, you mm -hmm. keep your head down you, and things don't always work out the way you want them to. But if you keep your head down, you keep working forward, good things will always come to people who work hard. Man, that was like imprinted on my brain instantly. And it just changed my my view on everything. And so I set goals and I started working for them. And, you know, when you're young, it's almost like you're fighting everything. You got your mind set on something and you're fighting everything. And as I've gotten older, I set goals now, but I roll with it because I kind of expect aiming for this, but I might end up over here and that's okay. Because over there might I've experienced it. And so I try to just do the things that my father taught me were the right thing to do, things that I've read. You know, listen, we smart people have been thinking how to get by in this world since the beginning of time. And this yeah. stuff is all recorded. And um, you know, I, I remember I was an older person the first time I read the Bible. Mm. And I remember thinking to myself, man, there's a lot of good stuff in here, you know? <laughs> and when you think about people that we look up to, that we think of as geniuses, you know, Martin Luther King and, mm -hmm. and uh, um, Abraham Lincoln and things like that, and you look at their speeches, they're based on the of the Bible, mm -hmm. you know, and they just wisdom and they put their spin on it. And then, you know, we think that's, you know, amazing. And it is, but to understand that stuff it, is what keeps you focused. And then um, to be a doctor has allowed me to really see what people go through. You know, I've seen a lot of suffering out there. Um, you know, there are people, you know, you, your story is, you know, I feel is, is way more dramatic than mine. I mean, you actually were the NFL, which means God actually did give you the gifts, hmm. uh, you know, that very few people have, you know, I know you remember what it was like to be back on the campus of uh, University of Tennessee and people think Johnson. Hey, that's, <laughs> I mean, I, same thing when I was, you know, like, Hey man, that's Reggie Miller. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, not only is that taken away from you, but your actual health, you know, using, losing the use of your arm. I mean, it's people go through tough times all the time and it's life. And, and um, I've gotten peace in my life because I understand that my time on this earth is short and I've, I wouldn't say I've learned, I'm learning because my faith is always in process, but I'm learning that it's not about me. It's mm. about what for me. And just that alone has given me so much peace in my life. And so when I'm working through my day, I really think about service to others. And listen, I'm a regular guy too. I have my own little, <laughs> I about that. I mean, I'm a person too. And bad days and I, you know i'm not this paragon of virtue all the time but i'm working at it you mm -hmm. know and i try to and you know when when you have your kids you know i look in the mirror and i i told myself like man you just got to be better you know mm -hmm. you got two now that are looking up to you and you got to get your ship tight you know <laughs> and it, it's like like when you start adopting that perspective mm -hmm. uh, things just sort of work out for you. And, you know, I was talking to the CEO of my company yesterday, and we were just kind of talking about our journey together and how we built our company and kind of all the obstacles that we had. And a lot of it was we were, we were able to be successful mostly because how we treated the people around us. And when, wow. when you treat people around you well, people recognize that and they're attracted to that and they want to follow that. 
And there's no one thing, you know, you never know when you're on, mm. um, you know what I mean? You Absolutely. never know when people. And so if you're trying to live your life, like, Hey, the cameras are on me, so I'm going to be my best self. And then when I think the cameras are off, I'm going to be not that person that mm. doesn't work out because you never know when people are watching what you do, especially your kids, you know, they're, they see everything you do, whether you think you <laughs> or not. And things that you do that kind of imprint on them and generosity, biggest things. And, you know, I talk to my daughters all the time. We were just having this conversation uh, the other day. And I said, the thing about me, I'm proud of you guys in so many ways that I can't even share with you. I can't even get to all of them. But the thing that I'm most proud about you is how kind you guys are. You're kind to other people. That's a really special thing that's, that's inside of you. And you need to nurture that, you know? Mm. Man, that's awesome. Like the thing that I really, I really love about what you said was what your father told you. Like, if you work hard, like good things happen. Like I'll never forget when I was younger and my coach that first signed me up to play ball, he shared with me, he said, Inky, as long as you make sure that somebody else's life is okay, he says, son, your life will always be okay. And I kind of subscribed to that train of thought in everything that I did. But the thing that, that I loved about when me and you were together you were telling me about just your journey, you know, becoming an orthopedic surgeon about like when you guys used to be in the office and you had the option to go to the bathroom when they would be picking people out to go into different surgeries and the, the amount of times the surgery were and people would try to go to the bathroom sometimes because they didn't want to be in a long surgery. Can you explain your thought process about that process and why you made the decisions that you made and how you feel is played in the part? of you being the individual that you are today? Yeah, you know, when uh, when it became obvious that my professional soccer career was never going to happen, mm -hmm. um, I, you know, I started thinking about what, what else do I want to do? And my father had spoken to me about it beforehand, too, because he used to joke with me. Uh, <laughs> I don't think he was joking. He was actually asking me, hey, what are you going to do? <laughs> like ninth or tenth, kind of scoffed at him. Professional soccer, obviously. And he kind of okay, well, what are you going to do if you get hurt or, you know, when you older and you have to do something else, what are you going to do then? And, and I said, well, you know, I don't know. And he goes, well, you should think about it. Mm. He goes, cause to consider, he goes, do you want to work indoors? You want to work outdoors? How much money do you want to make? Do you want, how much vacation do you want to have? Do you want to work with your hands? Do you want to mm. sit at a desk? And I just remember thinking like, man, that is a lot of stuff to consider. And the very first thing that popped into my head was, I didn't want to work for the government. Mm. I didn't know why. My father was in the military, and so I had a lot of experience with the bureaucracy, and I really did not like it. And so that was kind of my first thing. Well, I don't want that. And then um, I was I, I, I was a reading disability kid. So, um, you know, I didn't do very well on the SATs. I took it five times. I think my best score was like a 1080, which mm. is not great. Right. right. And, Got through college. I got after college. And when I started applying to medical school, I had to take the medical college admissions test. Mm -hmm. And uh, I two out of 15 on the reading comprehension, which I had a mentor tell me people who don't even speak English can do better than two. <laughs> and that makes me. And uh, I went to Georgetown University and there was a lady there who basically was giving me some advice. And, and she just said, you've got a terrible reading disability. You need to go get tested. And they'll help you figure it out. Mm. And 
kind of said, well, what's the difference between having a reading disability and just being too dumb to be a doctor? I mean, if that's my lot in life, just tell me. And <laughs> it's not that you're not smart enough to understand the complicated things. You just process differently. Mm. So I got, you know, I got tested. They, they were basically, how'd you even get through your life? Your reading disability is so bad. And I got a coach for a year and I just learned how to read differently. And I understood I can't cram. So, you know, a lot of people, most people, right? You wait till the night before the test and you try and put it all in there. I just don't have the ability. So, um, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a deficit for me, but it ended up being a blessing because once I learned this problem, I eventually hmm. MCAT um, and got a decent score. A great, actually, I got a great score because I was given extra time to take this exam. Hmm. Uh, my reading disability, and I got this great score, and I still didn't get into medical school. So I had to go back to bring my grades up, and I didn't get my first interview until the fifth time I applied to medical school. And, you know, that was a time for me because I'm getting older, and I didn't know what was, you know, I didn't know what was in store for me, and I didn't know what else I would do. You know, I really, really wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon, um, and, uh, you know, but I was living my life. And, um, you know, I was just trying to figure things out. I was kind of doing what my father used to say about compartmentalizing, like mm. here I'm working to get into school and make myself better. But over here, I'm embracing my relationships and, you know, trying to enjoy my life and doing those things. So I never really felt dead in the water. I always felt like I was getting better as a person um, and I was working towards this goal. And then I eventually got into medical school. And uh, I remember that um, now that I'm in medical school, I didn't want to get extra time to take the test because I didn't want to have a little asterisk next to my score, my my scores, wow. and have that to prevent me from getting to becoming an orthopedic surgeon because you have to graduate in top of your class in medical school for the most part in order to be accepted into orthopedic surgery because it's such a popular uh, discipline to go into. So. Now I'm going into this, this environment where I am not, you know, I don't have my best skill set, you know, that most people in there are really academically minded, but it wasn't me. So I said, what I lack in my ability to read and all that kind of stuff, I'm going to have to make up for and work. Hmm. And so that entire four years of medical school, I think there was 12 days that I didn't study at least four hours a day. And I just regimented like, you know, I'd wake up, I'd read for an hour, do my stuff. Lunchtime, I would read for an hour. Um, you know, the biggest thing about studying, right, is getting your books out and everything like that. So I used to go to the gym. I would come home. First thing I would do is set up all my books so that when I got ready to study, all I had to do was sit down. It wasn't like, where's my book? And, you know, off. And I just made a rule with myself. Discipline. You're mm. going to sit, no matter what you feel like, you're going to sit down and read for five minutes. If, if you're not feeling it that day, you can can you can pass and i that never happened once you got into that first five minutes that turned into at least two hours every time wow. and of it was because i wasn't cramming i was really learning the material and so mm -hmm. the next year it was easier for me so when i was taking pathology it was easier for me because i really learned my physiology mm -hmm. whereas maybe the other students did it and as a result i graduated fourth in my medical school class which is probably the most, the, the, you know, I, you know, pride 
I try to keep it down to a minimum. But when I think about the things I'm most proud about, it's that, you know, mm. I would not have the tools to compete in an academic setting like that. And that was literally everything I had in my soul to, to accomplish that. And I remember walking across the stage during graduation from medical school. And I remember at one point, too, when I wasn't getting into medical school, my father pulled me aside and he said, hey, listen, Scott, you don't have to be a doctor to make us proud of you. You know, you wow. can do something else. We still love you. And I, I remember looking at my dad and saying, dad, this has nothing to do with you. This is <laughs> this is my journey and this is what I want to be. Just like, OK, I just want to put that out there. <laughs> Fast forward, I'm graduating from medical school and they said my name, Scott Bar Magna Cum Laude. And I walked across the stage. You could hear my father in that crowd burst out crying. Wow. Never been in my life. And it's like that moment, you know, you know, obviously getting married and having my children special. I've had a lot of special moments, but that one sticks out in my mind, you know, because I knew my dad was was proud in a way that that uh, was beyond words. Um, and awesome. then, you know, from that point on, it was just uh, I, I had a lot more peace. You know, I felt like I kind of gotten over that hump. And now it was I was starting to believe what my father would say about good things come to those who work hard and, you know, all the little adages we have about self-motivation. I didn't have to try or I actually believed it. It was because I was seeing a return on my results. Wow. And so I've always just kind of done the same thing, try to do the right thing, treat people right, um, and understand that, you know, God is, is leading the way. And listen, where does he want you to go? And what you were talking about before was um, – you know, one of the things we had to do in medical school was uh, on general surgeries, we, we'd have to scrub into these cases. And in the morning, all the students would be there and they'd sort of randomly assign students, go to this case, you go to that case. And some of these cases were short, like 20 mm -hmm. minutes. At that case, you do it 20 minutes and then you had the rest of the day to go study or do whatever you wanted to do. But some of these cases were eight, 10 hours. Mm -hmm. and when they were assigning the cases, a lot of people would run to the bathroom or run to the cafeteria and <laughs> so that they wouldn't get picked to go in these long cases. And I wanted to, too. I mean, I'm a, like a caged animal. <laughs> I can't stand, you know, for eight, 10 hours. It's the biggest torture. <laughs> but I wanted to be a good person. And I could hear my dad in the background telling me, tough times don't test your character. They reveal it. And I wanted my character to be revealed a certain way. And so I stood out in front every time. And, you know, a lot of times I would get picked to go in those long cases and it was really painful for me. I really didn't want to do it, but I was just showing myself and demonstrating to myself that how you practice your life every day, it matters, you know, mm. uh, wow. getting an old exam, you know, was, was an advantage, right? If you got a test from 10 years ago, it gives you an advantage, Hmm. Uh, over other students when you're studying for a test in school. And, you know, there were some people who would get that test and they'd keep it to themselves. And I didn't want to be that guy. When I got that hmm. test, I had copies of it and I went around the library and I started passing it out to everybody. Hey, look what I found. You know, maybe this will help us all. And just, you know, kind of doing these things over and over again, people start to see that. And, you know, I always tell my kids the best way to get things in life is to give first, you know, mm. be generous. Um, and, you know, you live your life in a way that, 
you know, makes people curious. You know, if uh, if you're happy and successful and people see that, they want to know, what are you doing? You know, and most people want the easy thing. Oh, you know, I signed up for this class. I did it. And then, <laughs> and it's not that. It's a lifestyle. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, and again, I'm not by any means a perfect person. That's not what I'm saying at all. I got all mm-hmm. kinds of flaws. You know, there's a ton of stuff about me, like everybody. I'm a Absolutely. sinner, like stuff I probably don't want to share, but that's the battle of life, you know. Mm. And one of the things I know too is when I look in the mirror, I'm no better and no worse than anybody else. I have no rules really than anybody else, mm. but it's my habits, you know. And that was written by um, Adam Smith in The Wealth of Nations when he, you know, in the in the 18th century, mm. he reflected. God did not confer very much difference in terms of physical ability and mental ability on most human beings to be successful in this world. It's the habits that make the difference, you know, and by having, you know, discipline and working hard and doing the things you're supposed to do and not doing the things you're not supposed to do, it all, all adds up and it makes you happy and content when you do those things, you know? That's incredible. And, and quick question, Doc. How many offices do you have around Atlanta? So we currently have five offices and we're opening six and seven right now. We have inpatient recovery suites. We've got a surgery center. We've got hyperbaric chambers. I mean, we really have a great medical campus and we're growing. And, you know, a lot of our success has to do with assembling a great team. Absolutely. You know, it's funny had some uh, employees over the past kind of tell me I made this place. (laughs) uh, That's funny. I don't even feel like I could say that, you know, it's probably (laughs) worth. I have so people that do how to do that. I'm not capable of doing. Mm -hmm. And it's really effort, you know, and it's finding people that um, also have good habits, Mm -hmm. you know, in terms of plan and treating people well and honesty, integrity and, and, um, and accountability, you know, that's really the biggest thing. I always tell people, one of the greatest things you can do in life is demonstrate to other people that you're accountable mm. because you're rare and you will stick out. And um, I remember uh, I was in medical school one time and uh, there was another student who wasn't very good, who I can't remember what it was. He did something that I got blamed for. And so the chief mm. resident came in, kind of got his right in my face and he's screaming at me in the ICU and there's nurses and techs and all kinds of people around patients. And it was embarrassing. And I remember thinking in my head, uh, um, you know, I would love to just say it wasn't me. Hmm. And, uh, but I didn't do that. I just said the way my father taught me, I apologize. It won't happen again, sir, is what I said. And the guy stormed off. And I remember one of my friends came up and said, Hey man, why didn't you just tell him it was him? And I was, I was still stinging at the time. I didn't say anything. I just walked out and mm. I was kind of, you know, I was hurting and embarrassed and all that. Well, a few weeks later, chief resident finds out that the other guy did it and was just, you know, stunned that I took responsibility the way I did. But from that moment on, I could do no wrong. Mm. And I remember thinking, like, Hey, this is pretty good. Like now this guy, you know, treats me, puts me up on a pedestal and, mm. and he gives deference in a way that I could have never gotten any other way. And that's kind of the thing that I always try to counsel young people now is the truth always comes out Absolutely. about whatever it is. 
and being accountable, truly accountable, where you can say, okay, I made a mistake and I recognized it and I'm going to work on fixing it and make sure that that mistake doesn't happen again is, is amazing. And so few people, do. how many times have you ever seen like people will say like, well, that's not my responsibility. And it's like, isn't mm-hmm. your title like this department? How is it not your responsibility? You know? Wow. That's incredible, man. <laughs> that's an incredible behavior. I, I like to think, Coach, that when I was an athlete, if I would have got blamed for something that I didn't do, I would have been able to process it that way, but I'm not sure. <laughs> I would like to think. But I'll never forget, you showed me an area of the practice that I came to that, you know, you guys are going to be doing mentoring, right? When I first came, I met with your wife, you, Block, of course, some of your team members. And of course, you do incredible work as an orthopedic surgeon, you and your team, but you also have this tug on your heart for just kids in Atlanta, you know, and purpose and helping, you know, from the way that you were raised. Why is that so important to you and your wife? Yeah, you know, it's funny because I've been so blessed uh, in, in, in my life in so many ways. And, you know, I just I'm listening to God Hmm. who's telling me can't tell you how I know, you know what I mean? He's not talking to me, but I'm inside me that, uh, you know, to, to who much is given much is required, you know, and Mm. I've been given a lot and I just am looking for ways to pay it forward. And, you know, I've had mentors in my life as I know you have that will do that. You know, I'm doing this for you, but what I need from you is I need you to pay it forward for the next person. And so I met, Big Block, um, who's a three-award-winning music producer. And, you know, when you hear Block's testimony, he'll tell you the first time I ever had my own bed was when I went to prison when I was 17. Hmm. And so he and I talk a lot. You know, he's my patient. He's my friend. And, and you know, we, we, got, we got to know each other over the last couple of years. And we would just talk about things. And, and it kind of struck us both that we're so different you know, in our upbringing and the way we look and our style and everything. But there's really a lot about us same. you know, Absolutely. goal setting and art and looking out. And, you know, one of the things that really attracts me to Block is just how passionate he is about not wanting other young kids to go through what he went through. Mm-hmm. So he and I just started talking about what we do in our communities. And, you know, I remember my father telling me that, um, you know, if you think about the world's problems and that's, it'll drive you crazy because, mm. you know, you can't do anything. But what you can do is touch the people that are right in front of you. And, you know, starting off with a smile and a good morning to somebody is a big deal. You touch that person's life in a positive way and you set the tone for their day, you know, mm. and that spreads. Well, um, Block and I just started talking about, um, you know, we can't solve the world's problems, but we can, we could help with Atlanta. We know people, we have resources, and mm-hmm. we just kind of started to fact that everybody's got a story. You have an amazing story. I have a story. Blocks has a story. And we know a lot of other people, right? Because anybody who's successful, whether it's, you know, whether you're a stay-at-home mom or, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, you're just kids or whatever. I mean, everybody has a story and a cross to bear mm-hmm. that has a common thread there about what works, about being generous, about being accountable. About not being prideful, you know, the seven deadly sins, you know, we all have them. If you recognize them, it's about being, it's about, it's on purpose, right? You mm. know, if you're going to train, 
you don't say, well, I'm going to think about it tomorrow when I wake up and start training. You, you got to make a plan. You know, you got to get up and you gotta, and you're going to be hungry for some potato chips and, you know, <laughs> you're tired and there's going to be <laughs> mentally tell yourself, I'm going to get through that and have, have discipline. And mm. um, so what we put together this big time foundation and uh, what we're going to do is bring in kids and uh, kids of all types and mm. just show them. What by introducing them to people who've been successful, having them share their stories, we're we're going to give them books to read, you know, rich dad, poor dad, you know, things that teach you the the secret to success in life, which it's really not rocket science, you mm. know what I mean? It's but to be shown, and then we started talking about there's going to be kids out there that will look at me and say he doesn't look like me, he doesn't sound like me, so I can't be him because he's different than me. But they may look like Buck, mm. or they may look like Kelly, our CEO, or whatever. And that's what I want to do is get together people of all different shapes, sizes, colors, creeds, religions, and all that, and show that the common thread of humanity and success is the same, mm. and inspire the, and then give them the opportunity to see what's out there. You know, uh, how do you know what you want to be when you grow up if you don't know what's out there? You know, mm. and what a doctor's life is like or what a music producer's life is like or what a ceo or a lawyer or a motivational speaker or whatever we're hoping to just kind of stimulate that um that that spark that you have inside where, okay now i have a direction and i have a goal and then the rest of it takes care of itself and then you know we also talk about we don't live in a pollyanna life right you don't go to one conference lecture and then your life is solved you know people have struggles fall down and we make mistakes and and we don't listen you know well i want to do this other part i you know we knock over a few liquor stores or whatever uh um, that part you know and it's like no so we'll, we'll create a sense of community where you have um a support group that you can go to and then you know one of the things Block brought to me that used to affect me too was connections. Mm. You know, young, I knew people who like, oh, my dad knows somebody or, you know, whatever to get them a job or something. And I was like, man, my parents don't know anybody. Like, I don't mm. ever have any get me into a school or, you know, get me a job or whatever. And Block was talking about, you think it's bad for you. You should see some of these underprivileged kids in Atlanta. And mm. so we started about, the ability to create a network of people working for the common good, common goals, and then they know each other. And, you know, so get a kid, hey, he wants to be an attorney. All right, we already know him through the Big Timers Foundation. And, mm-hmm. and that's our try and be a positive resource in our community. And as we've been exploring growing this, this organization that, you know, you've generously agreed to be a part of, you know, I met the PALS, the Police Athletic League. Absolutely. And, you know, that these guys are already doing in Atlanta. It's amazing. And it just kind of the light bulb went in my head that there are so many good people that want to help. They just need a platform to do it. They just need mm-hmm. a way we want to do is connect people in our city and in our state so that we can divert resources to where they're needed. You know, know how to solve a problem if I don't even know that problem exists. Mm-hmm. And then when we find a problem, then we can usually find people who have been trying to work on that problem. And that's really what we want to do is kind of create a coordination between all the positive energy that's already out there. You know, we don't want to reinvent the wheel, 
but we just kind of want to make it stronger, make it better, you know, grease it up a little bit. Mm. Um, getting people together, you know, the, the hardest mm. thing most of us to give is our time. And so trying to set up a situation where, where we can do that, you know, and, you know, when we first started thinking about this, I was kind of like, well, what am I going to do with an 11 year old at an <laughs> orthopedic practice all day? You know, I, you know what I mean? Yeah. We have some issues that we're trying to work out because we want to create, um, we want to create an environment that's going to be positive for everybody. And also one that works, you know, a 20 year old is going to have kind of a different uh, need set mm-hmm. 11 year old. And we want to provide both. Um, and so because we understand a process, you know, we know that you're not going to know everything. You know, we went and we did this uh, the Christmas giveaway, you know, where we got toys together and we went out into Atlanta. That's incredible. And, and it was a bit chaotic, you know, but we, <laughs> we learned a lot and here we'll be better. You know? And that's a big timer. We're going to start off with a class. We're going to see what works, what doesn't work uh, and go from there. But the, you know, the thing is, is people want to help and we have the ability to help. And, you know, hopefully we can make uh, Atlanta and Georgia a better place. And mm. we do enough job that people in other places, you know, can sort of piggyback on what we're doing. And so, I'm really excited about it because with the group of people that we know so far, I mean, there's just no end of, of uh, the relationships that we have. You know, you know people who know people who know people. And I truly believe that most of us um, have a place in our heart where we want to be generous. Um, you know, we want to help. Uh, we want our neighbors to be happy. That's kind of the other thing, too, is, uh, you know, you look on the news and mm. and just the world is blowing up and, you know, you turn that TV on and they're telling you that we hate each other mm-hmm. for the sun when most of us don't even think about any of that, you know, in the course of our normal lives. And we don't have those experiences with the relationships in our lives. And so we kind of want to add a positive um, energy to our city and just, you know, in, in many ways, you kind of leave the running of your state and your cities and things up to the politicians mm-hmm. and they're not really great job. So we want to kind of empower citizens to do that. You know, there are kids and there are families and, and we want to, and we want to make it a better place and we can do it. Absolutely. Like I'll never forget, like I was sharing with you, uh, the deal that you all did with big timers at Christmas in that community. It was incredible. And you're right. It was chaotic. It was a lot of people, but the event was incredible, but I'll never forget getting out of my car, walking up and watching two kids walk up the street. And one of the kids said to the other kid, like, man, I told you, people do care. And that was incredible. And so I know you're busy, Doc. And as I take us out, you know, I have one last question that I want to pose to you. With the work that you do every single day, you know, your husband, your father, right? Orthopedic surgeon, Big Timers Foundation, a lot of people helping a lot of people. Um, What's something that you would leave uh, the people with, in terms of words, with the current climate of the world, you know, a lot of people are going through adversity and opposition. Obviously, you faced a lot of adversity and opposition. We all have in our own personal journeys. But is there a mantra that you live by, or, or what's some words that you would give to people just along their journey? Yeah, you know, the, I think there's a couple of things I would take there. The first thing is there's always two ways to look at any situation the glass is either empty or it's half full. Hmm. You just the kind of person that the glass is half full. 
there's always something to work with there and there's always a way forward, you know, mm -hmm. and you can't quit no matter how bad you think things are, you can't quit. And I, you know, people will often, often ask me, you know, especially in the last, last few weeks, do you think there's any hope for us? And I'm thinking, mm -hmm. you know, we came out of the dark ages, you know, and we came out of, you know, the world wars and, you know, we had a civil war here. I mean, you think people are divided now, they were pretty divided back then. Um, and we found a way forward and we will again. And it starts with, don't worry about saving the world, worry about touching the that are right in front of you and make it a habit. Um, and you know, a lot of people doing a few good things that make an enormous difference. And, um, Listen, I'm in a different place now than I was 20 years ago. I mean, I, I have more resources, I have more relationships, and I'm able to do more. And so I am doing more. But, you know, 15, 20 years ago, I had my practice and I had one patient at a time. And mm. that's it. You know, I tried to do the best I could do. My daughter asked me, hey, daddy, how did you build this company and all this? And, I, you know, I tell her, I go, I didn't set out to build any company. I just set out to be the best orthopedic surgeon I could be. And I did it one patient. I had mentors that told me, you don't go out and build it all at once. You treat the person in front of you the best you can do. And that will lead to other things. And that, that has happened. And I would encourage people to uh, try and adopt the mindset to see the world with a glasses half full mentality and just try to touch the people in front of you and listen for him. He will guide you. That's incredible. Doc, we greatly appreciate your insight. I greatly appreciate your friendship, your time. I love every time I get to be around you, man, and just ask you questions and listen to your perspective, I think is incredible. You're a great person, man, amazing soul. Uh, blessings to you and your family, and have a great one. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, it's an honor for me to... Uh, to uh, spend time with you. And I, again, I enjoy our interactions every time and I'm really looking forward to all the great things we're going to be doing in the future. Absolutely. Thank you, Doc. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you.